what if you had a magic crystal ball that could tell you where your business would be in 18 months? Everybody would love this. And for business owners, we're gonna be sharing four numbers that are gonna serve as a magic crystal ball for your business on this week's episode, live from New York. Stay tuned as we jump into the episode for this week. isn't telling you we are live from new york i am happy to be here and of course terrell welcome back to another show welcome back to another hey, episode welcome back yeah so today's topic well first of all before we jump into the whole discussion how are you doing i am doing well i mean we're we're in new york doing taking care of some business enjoying some personal time um checking out some things so i am good i'm looking forward to this conversation yeah same 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 definitely so let's go ahead and jump right in so today we're going to be talking about four things or four numbers specifically that are going to be numbers that business owners can use to really help see the prediction of their business, like where their business is going to be, where their business is going to go. One thing that I've heard you talk to a lot of business owners, and you've said this even on several other podcasts, is just there are what you call like leading indicators that are going to give you an idea of where your business is going to be down the line. Um, some of those are financial metrics, some of those are maybe non-financial metrics. So I want to dive into the first one that I think is very important, which is um, gross margin. So can you just walk us through like from gross margin, when I say, hey, gross margin is one of those numbers that is a crystal ball for your business, what would be the first thing that comes to mind? Yeah, so when I'm thinking about gross margin, um, the reason why I say that one becomes a crystal ball because it starts to give us more insight than just telling us, hey, what's going on right now? It's like when you understand it, you can also start to predict like, hey, these are going to be potential problems. So when I'm looking at gross margin, for those that don't understand, it's looking at what sales are, what does it cost to actually deliver those products or services. Mm -hmm. And once we figure out, hey, how much margin is left, that tells me, hey, what you charge the customer for, what your immediate costs were, how much is left. If that number is a very small number, what that tells me is you're going to have problems trying to cover the rest of your costs for your business. Right. And so where every business, we start off, you know, even before, you know, we even dig into deep into the details, we look at that gross margin and there was one company I was working with and we looked at the gross margin, it was about 20%. Okay. And I'm like, without even seeing anything else, I'm like, you're gonna have financial struggles in this business because your margin, is, your gross margin is only 20%, which means you got 20, that means for every dollar a customer gives you, you only keep 20, per, 20 cents on every dollar right. at the gross margin level, which means you gotta use that 20 cents to cover all of your other expenses. And I'm just like, this number alone tells me that, hey, there's probably going to be a lot of problems here, or you better have a ton of volume to make up for that low gross margin. So that's why I always say that gross margin is like a crystal, gives you that crystal ball effect. Yeah, that's, that's a good point. And I think the 20% that you mentioned, because a lot, a lot of times like business owners may be asking the question of like, Okay, what do what does a good and a reasonable gross margin percentage look like? So you're saying, okay, you told them, hey, for a dollar, for a dollar sales, you get twenty cents out of that dollar to run your business. If they were asking, okay, Terrell, like, and I know it varies by industry, but just generally, like, hey, 
what is a good gross margin percentage? What's reasonable? What makes sense for my business? Because a lot yeah. of times people are thinking in dollars and not necessarily percentages. Yeah, so I mean, if you're thinking about it from the perspective of, let's say, a software company, you're looking at, you know, 75% and up. Okay. Um, is kind of what pretty, you know, normal is for software companies. And yeah. is that because usually their front end cost is really where most of their cost is? And then well, no, because is? most of the time with, you know, with a, a tech company, you're looking at your cost to deliver the service usually is pretty low. Okay. I mean, you know, it, it doesn't like, you don't really incur a ton of additional cost to deliver, you know, a software product. Let's say, for example, someone who, you know, gets a Netflix package or whatever, like, it doesn't cost, typically it doesn't cost Netflix more money every customer that they add on. Right. They pay the cost and then if they add on a new customer, it's just like, hey, that person now gets a link or an account to view the same exact library that everybody else gets to view. So the investment came kind of the front end of the business. So like the infrastructure, the setup, all that stuff was really where most of the cost was and now the focus is really just Yeah, I mean, it's just the ongoing maintenance of delivering the service to a new person, it doesn't tend to incrementally grow. Now, on the other hand, let's say, for example, if you're a, you know, you got a physical product. So yeah. let's say if you're selling clothing, mm -hmm. every time a customer buys clothing, there is new cost attached to every single sales transaction. Right. Same thing with a restaurant. Anytime somebody buys a meal, there is new cost attached to every one of those transactions. Mm -hmm. Now, where it gets interesting, well, what I will say on, you know, product-based businesses, you know, if you're in a restaurant, you probably want to aim somewhere around, you know, 45% at the lowest, um, but aim somewhere higher. Now, if you're in a service-based business, now, this one gets a little interesting. Let's say if you're a marketing agency. Okay. Um, now, for a marketing agency, a lot of your cost is going to be your labor or your time or right. your staff. So. Right. There with a with a agency, I mean, you're, I mean, a service-based business, you're probably looking at a pretty high mar. It should be a high gross margin as well, mm -hmm. because if it is not, then what that tells me is you're going to need a whole lot of volume to make up for this. And there's only 24 hours in a day, so yeah. there's a limit. So I would say if you're a service-based business, I would say 65% and up is what I would probably tell you to kind of aim for. Okay, that's a good that's a good range. Any other points you kind of want to make on, on gross margin? So takeaways, it is extremely important because it really tells you for, you know, are, do you have enough money to run the rest of your business? That's, that's pretty much the yeah. summary. And it's a great crystal ball to give you that perspective. Any yeah. final points you want to make for the audience? Yeah, I mean, I think the best margin? way to look at it is gross margin by product. Let, you know, because if you look at your total gross margin, that's going to tell you one thing. Like, for example, Let's say if you were a service-based business and your gross margin percentage was 35%, the next question I'm asking is, okay, what types of services are you offering? Because if we look at your gross margin by product, then we can figure out which one of your services is the loser that we need to get rid of. Right. Because if you get rid of that one and you focus more on the more profitable ones, then your total gross margin will go up. So that's the last thing I would say on that. Okay, cool. All right, so what is our next? magic crystal ball number that we're going to be talking about. Yeah, so this is where I think you kind of step a little bit outside of finance, yeah. um, well, I guess you say peer finance, and you start bringing in things like, you know, from the marketing perspective. So when I'm working with a company, 
we're looking at their leads and kind of their conversion ratio. And what, that's, what a lead simply is, is the number of potential customers that you have to tell about your, you know, your product or your service, whether mm -hmm. people who called you or people who stopped by your website, left their name and contact information. Because the thing is, if you don't have leads, you're not going to eventually have sales, which means you're not gonna have revenue, yeah. which means you're not gonna have cash. And so if you can look and see what have our leads been trending? Are they trending up or are they trending down? That's gonna give me a future indicator of if you're gonna run into cash problems and revenue problems later on. Yeah. Now, the conversion piece is another aspect where you look at it and you say, okay, all right, of those leads, let's say if I have 100 leads, but out of 100 leads, if only two of them become customers, mm -hmm. you got a really low conversion you standpoint. Some, you got a lot of work to do. I mean, putting it nicely, you got a lot of work to do. Yep. I Absolutely. I mean, and I think when you start looking at it you know, like that, it starts to tell you things like, okay, all right, is this a sales problem? Like, do we need to fix our messaging? Mm -hmm. Are we getting the wrong leads? Are we talking to the wrong people? Um, like, you know, what, what's, what's causing our conversion ratio to go down? Right. Now, the other aspect about it is, is let's say if you decided to increase your pricing and you're, you know, targeting the right type of customers. Mm -hmm. Well, what that ends up being is you may see your conversion ratio go down a little bit, but you do want to keep an eye on that because let's say, for example, if you're selling million dollar homes, you don't need everybody to say yes to the deal. You're probably not going to have as many people say yes to buying a million dollar home right. as opposed to if you were selling homes at, you know, 250,000. Like okay. you're going to need more volume. But if you're selling million dollar homes, you don't need as much volume to still make as much of a profit. That makes sense because you're concentrated on a specific, I guess, market or area or customer base at that point. Absolutely. Yeah, got it. Absolutely. Okay. That's, that's really good. I think conversion cycle is one piece where I would say, I don't think a lot of, I've also struggled with this, like just paying attention to this because I think it is a very clear factor also on the marketing side of your messaging. Like is what you're putting out there really hitting with your audience and the people that you're targeting? So not just, you know, for the financial crystal ball aspect of things, which is, are you going to be around? <laughs> are you going to have a business? But I think also, just like you said, how many people do you need to go sell to to convert if you have a 2% conversion rate or a 20% conversion rate? But I think it's also a really good indicator on just are you, is what you're selling resonating with your, with your, your customer base? The third point we want to talk about, so that was the second point, which I think is a really good one and very important, even though it's not a financial, I guess, metric, for lack of a better word. What is the third crystal ball point that you think would be extremely important for our audience to, to know? So this is an area I've been spending a lot of time on is on the capacity side of mm -hmm. things. Because I don't think enough businesses really look at their do a capacity analysis. And so what is a capacity analysis? So a capacity analysis is simply looking and saying, okay, all right, for all the, you know, the people that you have on your team, and let's say if you're a solo business owner, you're, you're, you know, you look at yourself, like, how much work can I actually get done? Like, if it's, you know, products, then how many products can I actually make? If it is a service, how much time do I really have to support my customers? So you want to understand, like, what are your limitations? Because there are, no matter what type of business you are, there are going to be some type of limitations. Mm -hmm. I mean, 
let's say for example, I mean, even if you're the richest person in the world, let's say for example, like with Elon Musk, mm -hmm. as rich as he is, there's a limit to the number of Teslas that they can make. True. So there is a capacity to that. Even yeah. when you're in a service-based business, like with our business, and doing accounting for law firms and other service-oriented businesses, like there's a limit to the number of clients that we can effectively support. Yeah. And so when you're doing a capacity analysis, you want to understand what are your limits. And then what you want to look at is, all right, if I understand my limits, let's say right now, like for us, our capacity for doing bookkeeping service is 47 clients. Mm -hmm. If I know that 47 is our limit, then I want to go back and I want to combine this with the gross margin and say, okay, all right, of the clients that we are currently working with, what does the gross margin look like? Yeah. And am I spending too much time on the wrong type of clients? That's good. Because let's say if, you know, we get a ton of calls and there are 49 clients that want to hire us. Right. If our capacity is 47, I got to say no to two clients. Which yeah. clients am I going to say no to? But yeah, so I think the hiring piece is often an area where a lot of business owners struggle because they feel like they, you know, they're struggling to hire people because they're overwhelmed and they want to make sure that, you know, there's enough bodies to do the work. But if you're not doing the capacity study, you don't really know where to throw the work at or where to throw the bodies at that's going to be the most profitable for your business. Yeah, I mean, and I think it's, it's a very, to be very fair, it's a very real challenge that a lot of right. business owners are Agreed. going through. Because I go through it myself of like, you know, there's a day where, you know, client, ton of client requests come in. And I'm just like, man, I need some extra hands to do this. And just like your first thought is, I need to go I'm hire somebody. Right and, and, and it's just like, okay, all right. Yes, that's my gut reaction. But then when I sit back and I take a look at it, I'm like, you know what? Really, some of that was a planning thing. Because mm. where, that's where I sat down and I'm like, you know what? Let me just build out a calendar of what everybody on the team, you know, what their deadlines need to be. And about, I'd say about four months ago, I sat down with my senior accountant and we laid out, hey, here's what the calendar looks like. Here's what your incremental deadlines for the rest of the team. And then she had what she needed to go back to the people on the team to say, hey, here's what our incremental deadlines are. And it started solving a ton of those problems. Yeah. And then I also think um, some of it is, is your customer relationship because there were some customers that were calling in, they were like, hey, we need this. And, and I would have an honest conversation. When is the actual deadline for this? Yeah. Oh, we don't need it until next week. Right. Okay, well, like, then okay, we're well, going to move. <laughs> well, everything isn't, on, but you know, everything isn't on fire today and everything doesn't need to be fixed today. That's actually a really good point. Um, one thing I did want to mention also is I think, and this is something I've learned from you, sometimes it's just a process change that needs yeah. to happen. Like, for example, how you mentioned with LifeFlow, like we didn't need to hire more people to necessarily be able to do the work quicker and take on new clients, and that was a process change. So sometimes it's like you don't always just need to go hire new bodies. Sometimes you just have a crappy process, and if you hire yeah. employees under a crappy process, then you probably will not be as efficient as you could be, and it's going yeah. to cost you more money. And yeah. I would say to that, I just had a conversation with our team about that because one of the things that I was thinking like man I'm gonna need to hire another senior accountant mm -hmm. and I was like okay let me actually really look at this yeah. and what I found is that the senior accountant was actually redoing some of the work that the bookkeepers were doing mm -hmm. to where I said okay all right why are you you know why are you doing that and then I was like okay all right so we created a we use LifeFlow create a tool to automate kind of the open items and automate kind of the 
revenue reconciliation process. Mm -hmm. So in about maybe 20 minutes, I created a file and now that file is going to automatically update. So now the bookkeeper, as they're doing the bookkeeping, can, can look at that file and they can answer a lot of the questions that the senior accountant was looking into on a, you know, on a detailed basis. Yeah. Now the bookkeeper has the right tools that they need to do that on their own. So the senior accountant has now freed up about 60% of her time oh, wow, to do well. other things to where yeah. I'm like, okay, I really don't need to hire a second one. And see, that's the thing. If you got and hired, now you like have another head there, <laughs> another expense. <laughs> And like it's a process thing. So no, that's a that's actually a perfect example. But I want to jump into the last point because I feel like I don't want to say we saved the best for last, but I feel like cash is always king. And so we're gonna be talking about cash flow. So I think that one is a very very important. And I think all of the things we talked about at the end of the day, when you kind of all add it up, like it all comes back to this point: is does your business have enough cash to operate? And so I want to jump into just the cash flow piece. So we yeah. talked about cash flow. We have a separate episode on cash flow on the podcast. What are some things you think, if I'm thinking, okay, how do I see into the future? What, what, what components of cash flow are important for you to be able to do that? Yeah, so I mean, I think when you're thinking about the cash flow, I always tell people is think about your cash flow statement because most people just look at their cash and say, do yeah. I have enough cash to operate my business? Yep. But if you're really looking at success over a long term, you need to break it down and say, okay, where is my cash coming from? Mm -hmm. now? If you're looking at your cash flow statement, you'll be able to see that cash is coming from operating activity, from financing activity, meaning like loans and debt, and then it's also coming from investing activity, like you know money that the owner is putting in, or yeah. maybe you're selling shares or ownership in your company. Like cash is coming from those three areas. Now, if we're looking at your business and we're saying like, hey, all of the cash that you have in your bank account is really coming from financing activity. Mm. At some point, banks and financial institutions are going to be like, you know what, you're too risky to give money to. Okay, I just wanted to also define that financing activity is just money you've gotten from other... From debt. From debt, basically. Yeah. Got it. Okay. Yeah. So money you got from debt, typically non-credit card um, debt. So mm -hmm. loans, lines of credits, and stuff like that. Yep. So, I mean, if you think about it, it's like... If you look at your cash, you may say, well, we got, we're good on cash. We got enough cash. But then if we look at your cash flow statement and we see, well, your cash is actually coming from, you know, debt, mm -hmm. then that means that, hey, you won't be able to do that forever because exactly. at some point somebody's going to say, no, you're too risky. Now, yes, yep. on the other hand, if your cash is coming from investing activity, which I see a lot with especially service-based businesses mm -hmm. where the owners are putting money back into the business to where it's just like, you can only do that for so long right. before it's just like, hey, this doesn't make sense. Right. So what you optimally want is you want your positive cash flow coming from your operations. And what that means is that your cust the products you are selling are profitable enough to cover your expenses and to keep putting more cash into the business. Mm -hmm. So the business actually funds itself. Yeah. And so when it comes down to cash flow, I always tell people, let's go to your cash flow statement and let's see where is your cash coming from? Is it coming from operations, financing activity, or investing activity? If it is not mainly coming from operations, we got some, that's going to tell me you're going to have a cash flow problem in the future yeah. if you don't fix this. That's really good. That long run piece. And that's one of the things I always talk about is like when you borrow, specifically on the financing activities, 
borrow to grow, not to sustain. Because there's only so long you are going to be able to sustain that cash flow positive state because you're continuing to borrow and those expenses continue to pile up, but there's no revenue being generated to help pay that back. So you're just going to continue to be in a position where you're in the red and nobody wants to do that. So yeah, this was a really good discussion. So just to go through the main, the main points, the four numbers we talked about, the first number we talked about was gross margin. That was a very, 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 very important one. We walked through why it's important. The second one we talked about was marketing. Help me keep, keep me on. So it, we talked about leads and conversion leads rates. Leads and conversions on, on marketing. And then the third one was capacity study. We spent a good amount of time on that. I think that's really important if you're trying to really see long run longevity of your business. And then the last but not the least, cash flow. Well, so, more so specifically, the cash flow statement. Sorry, cash flow statement. Yes, yes. Cash flow statement. That's an important one. And any other final thoughts before we wrap up today's episode? I would definitely say, I mean, this can be a lot for business owners to work through. I mean, like I said, we work with a lot of law firms and I always tell them is, it's not your job to figure all this out on your own. This is why you hire a firm like us, yeah. because we can get in, we can do the bookkeeping to make sure you have visibility to those numbers. And then on the CFO side, we can dig in and help you start to analyze and start figuring out like, hey, what actions do we need to take moving forward? So I always tell anyone, if you're running a business, do not expect yourself to have to be the one to master all this. Right. Hire someone who is qualified, who understands it, and who can help you understand the pieces that are necessary to make better decisions. Fully agree. Thank you guys for tuning in to another episode of Stuff Your Accountant Isn't Telling You. Until next time.